Coming up this hour on The Common Good, we're going to talk all things coronavirus. Where are we at with it? How do we deal with fear? And how is this an opportunity for the church? You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, glad you can join us on this Monday afternoon. It's a, uh, it, it's a Monday afternoon and uh, a time that is unlike any other we have experienced. It's a weird one, for sure. Yeah. It has certainly been strange. Like, I don't know. We're going to, you and I talked about this last, we're only a couple days away from where you and I were joking on our show going, we're not talking about the coronavirus. And now I'm not sure we could talk about anything else today, man. Yeah, no kidding. It was weird. That was just a week ago, actually. We had posted something somewhere. I think it was, uh, was it Jesse Oxford? That's right. Please talk about anything other than the coronavirus. And we're like, ha, 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 ha. Well. (laughs) We can do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the weird thing here is that like every day it's you and I were talking off air. It's not even every day. It's like every hour, just this enormous change has been made. Uh, And now we're to the point where the CDC yesterday, uh, let me read what they let, what they put out. They said large events and mass gatherings can contribute to the spread of COVID-19 in the United States by travelers who attend these events. Uh, examples of large events and mass gatherings include conferences, festivals, parades, concerts, sporting events, weddings, and other types. Therefore, uh, CDC, and according with its guidelines, recommends that for the next eight weeks, organizers cancel or postpone in-person events that consist of 50 people or more wow. throughout the United States. Adherence to these guidelines protect the vulnerable populations. So that talks about hand hygiene and social distancing. Like, I don't know. I, I guess we were trending in this direction. But for you, I don't know if you were like me. When I first heard this, I saw it on Twitter. I was like, that was another like a uh, raising of the level of this. Like, really? Now we're down to 50 people like this is getting really crazy. Yeah. And I just read too this morning, early, early this morning, there uh, there have been two new cases at Chicago schools as of this morning. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So in Chicagoland where we're at, you know, a lot of people were talking about uh, about Pritzker's address. And I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show, but, you know, friends who own restaurants and Crazy. own small businesses. And that was the thing that was on everyone's lips. And, uh, and now we're talking about a couple of new cases. It's, I remember too, it's interesting how, how much your anxiety level starts to spike the closer it kind of gets to your back door. You that's know? right. Like that's, that's, right. A, that's a pretty ugly part of humanity. They're like, man, that's a bummer for them way over there in Italy. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you're like, Oh, Oh shoot, that's in one of the Carolinas. Oh no, that's in well, that's in Southern Illinois. And then you're like, okay, yeah. yeah, now it's now it's here. It's just interesting to see like the collective social media temperature and blood pressure like slowly rise over the course of just like a week or so. That's right. How are you uh, figuring out? Uh, one of the things I have found is Facebook, Twitter. It just is overwhelming, and people are posting all sorts of different articles and this and that. Uh, curious, how are you even? figuring out what to believe and, and who to read. What, what's kind of that sifting out process for you right now? I just have a, uh, like a magic eight ball in the basement. <laughs> that I, I say things like, should I panic today? And I'll shake it. And it says, uh, yes, Ian, you should panic. And I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty impressive for a magic eight ball. Uh, no, I, I think like with anything, 
uh, maybe not like anything, but there certainly are voices or leaders or places that have kind of shown over the course of years to be like a safe space in times of grief or uncertainty. So in, in some ways, I'm kind of treating, treating it like that. Like who are, the, who are the leaders, who are the writers, who are the thinkers that have historically like shown a track record? It is interesting right now because it feels like everyone, and we've talked about this on the show before, everyone's got a hot take right now. Yep. Everyone's yep. got either like some punchy joke or like some interesting angle. Now that that's not to say there's not a lot of really good stuff being shared. And a lot of people are like, Hey, my friend is a doctor in the East coast or my friend, you know, works in the ER on the West. Like there's a lot of helpful stuff out there. Um, but like you're saying, it can just feel like an avalanche. You're like, okay, who do I actually need to be listening to? Who should I be trusting? You know, it, it is also interesting. This is happening during a time of Lent. You know, I've been, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm going through this, uh, this Lent devotional by Walter Brueggemann, who is one of those voices that for the last 10 years has really been a source of like clarity and calm and wisdom. Uh, so I'm finding that to be a, a, honestly a little providential for me, at least as sort of like an anchoring amidst all the chaos, because, you know, you and I are both pastors. So it's not only that we're feeling some of the chaos ourselves, but I imagine we're getting texts, we're getting calls, like what should we be doing? And, uh, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying to really be mindful of cutting through just the avalanche of noise. Yeah. Intentional about, okay, who, who am I actually listening to and reading? Yeah. And it has seemed like, like we said on a minute by minute basis, it feels like as a pastor, it feels like we've had decisions to make every day that, that, that like you make a decision one day and then things change and everything just keeps shifting. Like, okay, we can still meet. Nope. We can't meet. Yep. We can, right. Nope. We're not going to do this. And uh, you and I have even felt that with this show. Like, do we go in? How do we do this? What do we do? And um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard not to get really fearful and really anxious. Next segment, you and I are going to talk about fear a little bit. Um, what was it like for you yesterday on a Sunday morning to not be, um, you know, you and I are so conditioned uh, to get up, go to church, preach, shake hands, hug people kind of go about the Sunday morning routine. What did, what did Sunday morning feel like for you yesterday? Yeah, it was definitely different. I mean, our, our team did an incredible job uh, preparing a digital experience, which was not just simply, Hey, there's going to be some music and some teaching, but like our kid city team put together a whole digital experience for our kids. Oh really? Um, Oh yeah. We thought through like having a live chat. We did three different live streams. So having a live chat, um, in the actual platform that we launched, communityonline.tv. So like having those opportunities where it was obviously very different and that's just week one. I imagine that's going to feel even stranger as this thing kind of progresses. But I, I got to give it up to our team because they were really trying to think through not just how can we pull off like a digital sermon, but right. how can we still create community? Like how can we yeah. still intentionally go after having, and obviously everyone knows it's, you know, not quite the same, but um, there's been a lot of thought, a lot of processing, a lot of leadership around some of those questions. Like how do we help still, even in small groups, we're putting together small group materials to encourage groups to continue to connect digitally and giving them insight and some resources and how to do that. Like that is sort of at the, at the high end of our priority list. And I've, I've really been impressed with our team and how they've, how they've pulled all that off. How about you guys? Yeah, you know, we went on Facebook Live for the first time ever. Remember, you and I have talked about that. Yeah. And and gone, like, I remember you telling me, hey, make sure you can do it well for the first time. And 
And, uh, but we were like, well, we got no options. So it was literally just on an iPhone on a stand and it went really well. No kidding. Uh, it really did because I, it's in a weird way. And again, I don't know how this is going to last for weeks. So we'll see. But the first time there was some really cool community that went, that uh-huh. went on in which even people who haven't been in our church for a while, who've moved away, who have, uh, you know, maybe they're older and haven't been able to come. They were kind of in there. It's a lot of what you've shared with me where they were in there talking to each other yeah, and right. uh, thanking us again. It, I get that it's week one, right? <laughs> like right. this could get old, but there really was, we, we left there going, man, there was something there that was not what we expected. Like in the beginning, it was just like, let's get some singing out. Let's get a sermon out. Let's get some resources in people's hands, but it actually turned into something kind of fun. Uh, that I hope we can build on because, like we said, this doesn't feel like this is, uh, you know, we're going to be out gathering anytime soon. Um, and so, yeah, I think for us as pastors, being able to think through how to still build community, we're going to talk about this later about how does this change the nature of the church even a yeah. little bit, um, I think will be interesting for all of us. Yeah, well, I, think, gl- I think you're right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, we're glad you guys are joining us. We know things are weird right now, we know they're uneasy. And actually coming up next, I want to have Ian and I talk about that. Like, how do you as Christ followers in the midst of something like this deal with fear and anxiety? What does that look like? That's coming up next year on The Common Good AM 1160. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is uh, Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Twitter, at Common Good Talk. And as always, where is it they can find our podcast? I'm not remembering. Oh, let me. it's on the tip of my tongue. Mm, everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Anywhere you get your podcast. And let's be honest, a lot of us are kind of a... We, we are uh, in our houses. We are social distancing, uh, kind of a new reality. What better time to catch up on the Common Good podcast than wow. over these next couple of weeks? That's right. I did it. You really snuck that in there, huh? I'm trying to give him a resource, man. I'm trying to give him a resource. <laughs> I mean, you can only watch so much Netflix. You know what I mean? You can only That's, do so much Netflix. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that hour amount is. There's a lot of Netflix. <laughs> and there's a lot of common good. <laughs> oh, touche. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not a good salesman. There you go. So anyway, uh, we are uh, in the first segment. We did talk about just how we are feeling around all that's going on with the coronavirus. It seems like our lives are changing, not just day by day, but hour by hour. Uh, talking about how last night uh, the CDC came out and said for the next eight weeks, limiting gatherings of more than 50 people. Don't do it. Can you keep your social distancing? And yeah. also we didn't talk about uh, kind of sh- uh, shutting down restaurants uh, for in uh, in room uh, in dining. You can still do takeout and stuff like that. I think that was in response. Did you see those pictures of the bars in Chicago yeah. and in other places that felt just inferior? I don't know if infuriated you it made me so mad when I saw those pictures. I, yeah, I, I don't know that mad was my initial response, but I can certainly see how you would get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so the governor came out and a lot of states are doing this, uh, closing down restaurants, closing down other places where people tend to gather. And so uh, life is very different. Life is uh, just kind of shifting underneath us. And that's what I want to get at in this segment. Pastorally, a um, lot of fear. A lot of anxiety. I think we're feeling it, but certainly people in our congregations as life is changing kids. We're going to talk about kids later, but also they fall under this umbrella of just fear and anxiety. 
Uh, Ian, as you uh, think about it for your own life, but more than that, as you know, maybe you're talking to your people at your church or your family or your friends, uh, talk to them a little bit about uh, how do we, especially as Christ followers, process those feelings of anxiety and those feelings of fear? Well, we, you know, I think the last time we talked about this topic uh, of fear and anxiety, we were talking about the uh, the number one verse of last year. Um, that's mm. both based on uh, U version numbers and Amazon numbers, and is from Philippians talking about not being anxious in anything. And uh, what's so tricky to me about verses like that, and again, you know, not to uh, beat this drum every time, but it is a verse within a larger context of a letter written by Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi. So that's always important to keep in mind. But like, I don't, I don't necessarily know a lot of people who can just simply be told, well, stop, stop being anxious. Exactly. People who are like really steeped in some level of uh, anxiety or fear or worry or some mixture of all of them. um, They don't typically just need to be told like, well, this, read Philippians. Like you need to just, you need to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like with anything. You know, you can't really. I don't. I don't know that it's that simple. Now, on the other hand, I know plenty of people who have read verses like that. And there's a lot of verses throughout Scripture. You know, like you have, uh, you have Timothy one that says, "For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind." So, like, I think it's totally appropriate to go to those verses for strength, for perspective calm, but to also recognize that while it may not be you specifically, a lot of people um, won't just simply be able to snap out of it. Like this mm-hmm. this fear that's weighing in on our communities and our neighborhoods and our neighbors is not something that we, we as Christ followers should be saying like, well, they just need to read this verse and everything will be fine. Um, I think what's interesting historically about the church is that it it seems that in times of crisis, two things really tend to happen. Uh, one, it's, it's during these times where like, and we, and we talked about this, you know, uh, yesterday, the church found like really unique ways to still gather. And in a lot of ways at a global level, I think that was pretty revolutionary. Yeah. Also historically, the church when it's at its best during times of uh, fear and heartache are the ones that are best caring for their neighborhoods and their communities and their friends. There's a, there's a mobility, I think, to the love of Christ in, in times where everyone else seems to be feeling sort of panicked. And I think I think there's a unique opportunity there. And that doesn't mean that fear yeah. just goes away, but there's stories all throughout Scripture of like men and women of faith who were still crippled with fear. Like fear, f- fear does not, I mean, I don't know that like peace is a prerequisite for action. Hmm. You yep. know, I I, th- I think there are plenty of stories of people that like step out in action, even though they probably were still feeling fearful. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally do. And I think what you said that all really well. And what's important in scripture is to see that that there's never a promise of no fear, right? There's never. Uh, it's oftentimes talked about God's presence in our life as life is crumbling around you, or where do I find hope in the midst of the storm? And when it, you know, and that's where I think people get all mixed up and all tripped up is. Oh, as a Christian, like you said, I should not ever feel fear. No, no, there's there's a place to go with our fear. There's a place to go with our anxiety. Right. And, you know, I love that as you talk about the context of Philippians and being reminded that the Apostle Paul, he was facing possible execution at that moment, right? right. Chained to a wall. Right. And uh, he wasn't writing, you know, from some chair on some beach going, eh, don't be anxious. Life is good. Like he was, he had all sorts of things 
to be anxious about. And, and I think that's one of the important points here is that like there's legitimate reason for anxiety right now. There's yes, right. legitimate reason for to feel fearful. And once we kind of heap on guilt that says you shouldn't feel fearful because you're a Christian, uh, that can that can make all sorts of issues because then you're like, well, now I feel guilty about feeling fear. And so now I'm more anxious and it, it can really be um, uh, this cycle that just goes downward very quickly. And it, and it is worth saying, you know, that the most common command in all of scripture is do not fear. You know, I've, right. I've, I've certainly heard it said too that um, by some estimates, there's 365 of those commands, one for every day of the year. So oh, wow. the thing that I find interesting though about that command is that almost every single time in scripture, Old and New Testament, by the way, that it says do not fear, it's almost always followed by the words for I am with you. That's right. I think that is to leave that second part out, I think misses really the power and gravity of, of the statement. You don't actually ultimately have anything to fear because God is with us. That doesn't mean that we don't still take precautions here and now that we aren't, you know, aren't wise stewards with whatever it is that we've been entrusted with. Yeah. Um, but there's also some comfort knowing that it's the most common command, like for right. me, the very least, like, okay, if, if that made it into the book that many times, there's there's probably some understanding that this is going to be a thing we struggle with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and this just struck me the other day that like, I think what's causing so much fear right now is just the unknown. Like what's life going to be like tomorrow in a week right. and whatever. And uh, it's, it's a reminder that, that while this coronavirus and, the, uh, and everything is unknown, how's this going to play out? Uh, we have a God who makes himself known to us and yeah. therefore you know, we can put our hope in him. One of the things we did at the beginning of our Facebook live uh, service yesterday, I just read a bunch of scripture about fear and none of it said, uh, you know, you're sinning. So quit, fear. you know, it was like, I'm with you and yeah, right. foundation and uh, turn to me in prayer. Like it was all of these types of things. And so if you're out there feeling fearful, uh, we first want to affirm you <laughs> that there, there is legitimate reason to be fearful right now, but we want to point you uh, to the, like we said, the firm foundation to the place uh, as Ian said, when, when God says, do not fear for I am with you and we can take hope. Well, coming up next, we want to talk about the church. There's an article that said, dear church, this is our moment. And we just want to talk about how these next couple of weeks can even change some of our perceptions about what the church is and how it functions. That's coming up next year on the common good AM 1160. Welcome back to the Common Good AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday afternoon. A Monday afternoon that we have been acknowledging uh, is a strange one. A lot of you uh, working from home, kids are home from school, uh, and uh, there's there's a lot of uncertainty about what is coming down the pike here. Uh, but we're hopeful that, that just even... Uh, this show can give you some laughs, gives you some things to think about, and uh, we are we are in this with you. And uh, let me remind you, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That is the Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. There you can find uh, the podcast. You can find old shows. Uh, you can see our smiling faces, all sorts of things <laughs> like that. And get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, we are excited and thankful for those of you who do that. Actually, we should also mention 
over the last couple of weeks, Ian and I have been uh, discussing that Andrew Peterson concert that was supposed to happen March 28th, March 29th, one of those days. Uh, you can go to 1160hope.com, but that concert has been postponed uh, or canceled. I'm not sure which, but you can go uh, to our website and find out more about that uh, because everything's getting canceled around us right now, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, isn't it weird in that we, uh, that as of, if I had said to you the phrase a week ago or two weeks ago, social distancing, I don't think we, we all have been like, what? You would, no doubt you would have made the joke. I played bass in social distancing. <laughs> Well, honestly, that that phrase didn't actually spook me uh, as much as it spooked a lot of other people. Apparently, social distancing—if I—if I didn't have any context, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's flu season. Just keep your distance." Like that's how yeah. I would have—that's how I would have heard it. Uh, but obviously, as we know, it's a lot more intense than that. It is. It is. And so, uh, hopefully, uh, you're doing okay out there. Kind of um, taking them as they come. Like the first big shoe to drop last week was when our kids, when we found out the kids weren't going to be in school. Uh, that happened, I believe, on Friday and uh, or Thursday, maybe. And so each with each step, it's like, wow, okay, raised it again, raised it again. And I want to talk about the church. As most people out there know, you and I are both pastors. You're at uh, the Yellow Box, a community Christian church in Naperville. I'm at uh, Four Corners Community Church in Darien. And this has really changed uh, the way the church can function uh, because uh, – one of the main aspects of the church is gathering together. And now when we are being told to not gather together, uh, it does change some things. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Ian, how you have been processing it as a pastor and just as the church, how, how does the church still function? Uh, and what does this teach us about the nature of church? Yeah. I mean, you know, I wrote a post yesterday, um, Two days ago, I can't remember anymore. Exactly, a, a little bit about the the nature of the church, and it's something that I I I care deeply about because I think in a lot of ways, especially in the West, you know, we've we've come to really see church as synonymous with the church building. That's right, and I think that's understandable because that's often how we talk about it. I actually just watched the movie Silence. Did you ever read or watch the that book or movie? No, no. Uh, it's by a guy named Endo. I'm reading it for for school right now, and it's it's about a a, a priest, like a mentor priest, who apostatizes, and his two young priests kind of go after him to to make sure that's not true, and then they're captured. And it's this whole picture of the underground church, and it was a very interesting thing to have just watched that movie like two weeks ago, and and you know, it's within it are themes of like fear and doubt and faith and all these other things, but. Um, it was interesting that in this like persecuted landscape, it's really, really clear to those persecuted that the church is not a building and that people are meeting secretly in, in, you know, cellars and in caves. Mm. I remember like even just certain lines in the movie or certain lines in the book, we're like, wow, that is so different from how we often talk about the church. And so now fast forward 14 days later, I think the church has an unprecedented opportunity to, to really be the church. And I'm not saying that buildings are even bad. You know, I think, right, I think right. those spaces matter a whole lot, but I think this is a, an incredible opportunity for the big C church to, to be the love of Christ to people in a really like fearful and tumultuous time. No, that's well put. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Matthew T uh, Till uh, at MatthewTill.com. He wrote a blog post that says, dear church, this is our moment. And let me just read a little bit of this. Uh, because again, he gets at that. He says, today is the day to set aside intellectual and ideological debates 
Today is the day of action. Today is the day to join the front lines. Today is the day to live as sent ones in the world. Today is the day we join God in his mission. Today is the day we demonstrate our eternal hope in a greater king. Today is the day we declare our allegiance to a greater and more perfect kingdom that is meant for today and fulfilled in a coming final day. Today is the day we radically fulfill the great commandment to love God and love our neighbors. Today is the day we give the world every reason to believe in Jesus who has given us new life. And he's going to go into some very specific ways we can do that. But what do you think about that um, sentiment that he writes about there? I think it's spot on. I think it's um, the kind of clarity that we, we need right now. I think, you know, sliding into some of these ideological debates. Now, obviously some debates need to happen because some yep. people uh, are possibly endangering themselves and others. So I'm not saying there isn't space at all for like harsh disagreement. Um, but the level of opportunity though, I think that he's speaking to is, is spot on. Yeah. And he goes on to say, here's how the church can own its moment in simple, but powerful ways. So let me read this list. Uh, maybe let me know at the end of this, which ones kind of stand out to you. If maybe all of them, he says, uh, Here's some ways that we can, we can, the church can stand out. He says, care for the body of Christ by having multiple means of connecting with fellow church members in the event of mass social distancing or quarantine, what we're kind of starting to see more and more of. Make a list of those in your congregation and in the community who are most vulnerable, such as the poor, the elderly, the chronically ill, widows, and single parents. Obtain multiple ways of contacting those individuals and begin to identify their needs in the event of a significant distraction to daily life. Number three, he says, if you're buying extra supplies or have supplies in hand, begin a distribution plan among one another in the event of a planned large-scale quarantine or lockdown. Just as the first century church set up distributions among one another, so should the modern church. Next one, make space in your home to care for a single young adult, widow, elderly person, chronically ill person, or single parent, or another vulnerable member of society. Next one, identify first responders, caregivers, healthcare workers, doctors, and other essential workers in your community. Discover ways those individuals and family may need support. Uh, host virtual prayer meetings usual so, using social media or video conferencing apps. Combat the threat of loneliness in times of social distancing and isolation by regularly communicating with others through phone calls and video calls. Be a constant source of encouragement and strength for one another and your neighbors. Avoid debates, complaints, Focus your thoughts and words on sharing life, love, and hope in Christ. Pursue unity, uh, holistic solutions, and opportunities. Uh, use time and social distancing as an extended period of Sabbath rest to read, pray, and abide in his presence. And last one, visit, call, grieve with, and pray with the families of the deceased who are in mourning. So that's a pretty comprehensive list. What did you think? What Anything stand out in that list for you? I think it's really important. And he says it a couple of times to the, the care for the vulnerable. I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, I have a bunch of friends who live in Nashville and they were talking about how discouraging it was for just a couple of weeks ago, see this incredible sort of band of solidarity and, and sharing. And then for that to turn so quickly in some neighborhoods, in some areas to like every man for himself, it's so easy for that switch to be flipped for us. Yeah. You know, and we see that with the hoarding and we see that with, I just think in general to be really, really mindful who are the most vulnerable, the most susceptible in your sphere of influence in your community and to, to not forget to be the church, to be the love of Christ uh, to your family, but also to those people as well. 
that's really good. That article is called Dear Church, This is Our Moment to Shine. We'll put that up at our Facebook page. Well, you just hinted on some of the darker side of humanity. There's been a lot of positive things, but there have been some darker sides here that the coronavirus has kind of exposed. We're going to talk about some of that and what drives that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday, uh, a Monday that we've been acknowledging is very different from what we're all used to. You and I like to usually make jokes about having a case of the Mondays and we as pastors, uh, but that is not the case today. This is just a different Monday, a different week, different possibly months here uh, all together. Uh, so hopefully we can give you a little bit of an outlet, uh, but also be a place where we can talk about what what is going on in our culture, yeah. uh, what is going on just around us. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, online, 1160hope.com. And as always, you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, we would be thankful for those of you who do that. So the first couple segments, if you weren't with us, we talked more about uh, just kind of how we're feeling about this coronavirus and the self, the social distancing kind of being in our homes as much as possible. Um, I should have asked you, I never asked you this, Ian, how are your kids? They're so little, they can't really understand this. Are they getting like, hey, we need to stay in and hunker down a little bit? Or are they I mean, just they, enjoying having dad around more? Yeah, I think in general, they're just getting stir crazy. Like all, all day yesterday, we were like lamenting a little bit that it wasn't warmer out. To, I know, couldn't agree more. Just even it be does. in the backyard, you know, they're getting a little antsy about all of that. But yeah, they're they're too young to really understand what's going on. Yeah, uh, mine are not. <laughs> so, it's like this constant battle because you remember when you're, you know, you know, 10, 11, 12, teenager, whatever. I mean, it would be so stir crazy. Like, ah, just let me out. <laughs> <laughs> just just like, like that. Oh, it's like you're under house arrest. But uh, anyway, we hope you're doing well out there. There were some stories that popped up this week that were some of the, uh, I don't know, the darker sides of humanity. And uh, I want to start with uh, how this has shown some greed in us as a humanity. There's Mm. the story of two brothers from Tennessee, and this story took a turn this morning. But over the weekend, it came out, two brothers from Tennessee who said they tried to capitalize on the coronavirus outbreak by buying nearly 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer, and they were now claiming they have nowhere to sell the products after a crackdown on online gouging. They sold the sanitizer for between $8 and $70 each, which is multiple times higher than what they paid for the product at local stores. The brothers declined to disclose their exact profits, saying that it was only substantial. Uh, And despite uh, backlash and accusations of profiteering, the the guy's name Noah Colvin defended his methods to the New York Times, saying that they were there was, quote, crushing, overwhelming demand in areas not carrying the product. He said, I honestly feel like it's a public service. I'm being paid for my public service. I think most people would beg to differ with his assessment of it. (laughs) And uh, now there's been a change this morning. The state of Tennessee, he's in Chattanooga. The state of Tennessee literally came in and confiscated. I don't know exactly how they did it, but all of it and delivered it to charity. And it took more than one U-Haul truck to do. Uh, I'm wondering your thoughts as you read. There's lots of stories like this. Uh, were you, uh, d- does this kind of greed surprise you? 
um, or is it, uh, are you like, Hey, good. Hey, way to, way to hustle. <laughs> or, do, you, do you really think in any universe, I would say way to hustle. <laughs> I just wanted to give you the option. <laughs> what did you think as you read stories and stories like this of people hoarding all sorts of things for the sake of reselling it? I mean, first I'm surprised you chose such a dark story in the first place. That, really? Yeah. Yeah. That seems, um, this is more like in the realm of like Keith and John's kickers than <laughs> a story that you would choose. But the, the I read later that says uh, that there were some 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer that have been sitting in his garage. So crazy. That means he didn't, didn't sell that many. I can't say I'm all that surprised. I'm trying not to sound too despondent. It does bum me out though. And I think, we're seeing that in a much larger scale with a lot of the, uh, you know, the toilet paper fiasco. And it's crazy. I haven't actually even gone out yet, you know. So my my wife has, you know, shared some videos of like, here's what the aisles look like right now. Here's what the shelves look like. Um, but then at the same time, you know, it's like, so we're in Naperville. I have other friends who are posting in Aurora, and they're like, I, I went to the store and everything was fine. Like everything seemed normal and everything yeah. was docked. And I was like, how? is one city over experiencing such a completely like different social response to all of these reports and all these issues. And uh, that was to me, I was like, man, I hope somebody writes about that because the vastly different responses in different communities based on, I don't know, any endless list of factors that kind of surprises me, but you know, at the very least we've all lived through enough Black Friday sales to see that like, man, when, when humanity wants something, there's a lot of really good and beautiful. And then there's also a lot of ugly and dark. Yep. And sometime, I mean, I don't know if you remember the story about the guy that pulled the gun on somebody else shopping for an Xbox one black Friday. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that's, that's what we've resorted to. So right. this to me is a little different than an Xbox, obviously. So a move like this, Reminds me, I don't even remember any of the details. What was the guy that like hiked up the price of medication? What was the medication? Oh, it was um, uh, what is used for diabetes? What is insulin? Oh, insulin, right? Yep, that's yep, right. Yep. Yeah, and that to me that is so unfortunate, and it is worth us talking about on the show here. But it, it I have to just say anecdotally, the stuff that I've been seeing in my personal feeds have been far and away much more generosity Absolutely. and kindness but yeah this this kind of stuff is heartbreaking yeah you know i, if, I it does feel a little dark but to say this kind of uh, there is a part of humanity that that kind of comes out uh, in bad ways and things like this and i right. was at the store i went to walmart this morning and it was a it was a lot emptier but they were actually stocking the shelves while i was there i was like i think they're still kind of it's not like they're out of food, you know. Yeah, what I mean? right. yeah they good. were they were doing that, but uh, I, we mentioned it earlier in the show. But kind of along the same lines, I was really discouraged this week to see the number of people. And again, it's online. They're just they they highlight these things, but man, pictures from Bourbon Street or right. uh, the bars in Chicago or right. whatever, and there just seemed like a lack of care and understanding of like what could there seemed like this, like, well, I'm not going to get sick. I'll be fine. Uh, in this lack of care. I don't know. You, you didn't seem like you seemed as disturbed as I was when I saw those, I was a little bit angry, a little bit sad. And like, man, we got to really do something about this. Oh no. I, I was definitely disturbed. I, I would, I'm just trying to not be angry. I'm trying to resist going to anger first. Like gotcha. that, that to me, 
just simply because I immediately start to think of like real names and real faces and real families of people who are legitimately in a, in a very scary spot, That's knowing right. that, you know, some people are even like sharing videos of themselves walking out with two grocery carts full of toilet paper. And I'm like, Oh gosh, <laughs> there's, <laughs> not even, there's not even shame. It's like, ah, look at me suckers. Like it, that to me is heartbreaking. And that to me is all the more reason that I think this is such an opportunity for the church to be countercultural, to be yep. sharing what everyone else is hoarding, to be giving what everyone else is grasping. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's just such a, a, binary response here that like the way of Jesus looks very, very different. And yep. uh, I think we're getting this like stark real time opportunity to step back and say, all right, so what does the third way of Jesus look like in these kind of uncharted territories? Absolutely. And then you got, you got these churches who are like, you know, I don't believe in this. And did you see the pastor yesterday? And I get it. People post like the most Yahoo pastor at all, but he had a thousand people in his room and he said, we don't believe in this coronavirus. So please turn and shake hands. And you're like, Oh, oh for the love. Just yeah. stop. Are we going to talk about Liberty University later? Uh, maybe. Maybe we should. <laughs> I found that so discouraging, but maybe we should. Uh, anyway, we, we know most of you out there are doing the generous thing. But as Ian pointed out, I think last segment and this segment, this is an opportunity for the church to yeah. be countercultural in its generosity, in its care uh, for other people. So let's make sure we do that. Well, coming up next. Uh, We're going to talk about children, how to best talk to your children about what's going on around them with the coronavirus. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to continue to talk about the coronavirus. How do we talk to our kids uh, and other things that the coronavirus is going to teach us as a culture? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside E. Ian Simpkins. My name is Brom. Really glad to have you joining us on this Monday afternoon. Still, I uh, will keep mentioning it feels like a strange day, like we're in the midst of like a, we're in the middle of like a sci-fi movie right now. Maybe that's what it feels like right now. Do you feel like you're in some sort of crazy movie that you've I, seen in the past? I thought you have gone on record to say that you don't like sci-fi movies. Is that right? 
So uh, I'm not saying that I watched this sci-fi movie. I'm saying, do you feel like you're in one that you've watched before? <laughs> I do not feel like I'm in the middle of a rom-com that I'm normally perusing. <laughs> is, is that your genre of choice, rom-coms? <laughs> if, if given the choice, yes. <laughs> yeah, it feels, it feels a little sci-fi-y. It is interesting how... Like if I'm just scrolling through Facebook mindlessly, it's like, okay, coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. And Unbelievable. Like, happy birthday to my dad. And you're like, oh, that's right. People still have birthdays and, you know, need suggestions for furnace repair. Like there's still just normal that's stuff right. happening too. So that, in some weird way, I think that uh, online interactions can at its best sort of rehelps center us a little bit, but at its worst, it probably is probably uh, stirring us up. As well. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought about that with Twitter last night. I was, uh, I, I went on Twitter and I'm so used to just going there for like sports news and kind of mindless stuff. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm not sure I can read another person posting what this ER doctor said or this mm-hmm. going on. Like, I might need to stay off of it for a little bit here. Um, but one of the things that we have been talking about is how do you talk to your kids with uh, when it comes to all that's going on around us with the coronavirus and all the changes? To life, And with that in mind, at the Gospel Coalition, at thegospelcoalition.org, uh, they wrote an article about talking to our kids. And uh, you and I are in very different stages with our children. We've said that before. But if you're new to the show, I've got uh, a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Uh, and yours are what? Three and one? Two and one? Four and one? <laughs> yeah, two and one. Two and one. Man, I can't believe you have kids so close together. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Uh, And so it says, let me read the beginning of the article here. The coronavirus has created a tremendous amount of fear and affliction for thousands around the world. Given the pervasive messaging about it affecting every area of life, children certainly can and are internalizing fear. I think that's the important point here, that children uh, internalize their fears. So she says, uh, while we never want to think in terms of, quote, capitalizing on others suffering, Crises like this provide valuable opportunities for meaningful conversations with our kids. Uh, Yesterday, she writes, I talked to a first grader about it. Here are the three things I asked her along with some of the messages I communicated to her. Okay, so the message here is there's going to be three questions uh, that this person asked this other kid to help process what is going on. So let me read them and then I'd love for you to respond to them. Number one. Uh, Why do Christians not have to fear death? Most people suppress or ignore the inevitable reality of death. The coronavirus has raised this question in an undeniable way for us all. I wanted to talk to the child about the comfort and hope believers have in face of death. Christians are people who taunt death with the cry, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? We talked about how Jesus came to save us from our sins and to deliver us from death. Death for the believer is gain as we go to live in glory with Christ and are freed from the sufferings in this life. Yes, we have trepidation about the process of dying, but in terms of final outcome, we have no fear because of Christ's victory at Calvary. I wanted the Christian's hope in death to be the first thing we discussed. Uh, Thoughts about that in general, but also having that conversation with a child. Uh, I mean, I think it's important. I, I know that parents will certainly disagree on when is the appropriate time to be talking death at all with a kid. Yep. Um, yep. I, I, I think it's really important. You know, that, that verse there is one that I will often use in funerals. Um, yes. But I'll 
I'll usually couple that with the, uh, the passage in Thessalonians that talks about um, grieving, but not grieving as those without hope. So I, mm-hmm. I want to always create space like, hey, it's okay for death to still be a, like a scary thing, right? So I don't know. For me, ultimately, when you talk about in existential philosophical terms, we don't have anything to fear in death. But for adults and kids alike, I'm, I think it's okay to still give space to say, um, yeah, it's this great kind of experience that we all know that we'll have to face. It's yes. okay to feel, I think it was Oscar Wilde who said, it's not that I'm afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> that's a really good line. And I, I think that's right. And I think that probably, that probably sums up the way a lot of people feel about it. They're like, yeah, especially Christ followers. Like I get, I get that I don't have anything ultimately to fear, but it's still kind of in the back of my throat is like a little bit, a little bit scary. Yep. That's well put. Number two, why should Christians still be, uh, why should Christians still be responsible, safe, and wise about the coronavirus? Uh, While we have no fear in death, we also don't act like fools. We don't take unwise risks and we heed the advice of credible authorities. Why? The first grader and I talked about how our lives are a gift from God. Our Lord calls us to be faithful stewards of this life for his glory. Part of being good steward involves protecting our bodies and monitoring our health. We want to treat our lives and the lives of others as sacred since we're all made in the image of God. Given this important stewardship, we should follow the common sense practices that healthcare authorities have delivered. Washing hands, avoiding handshakes, staying inside if we demonstrate symptoms. And now since they've written this article, we've grown much more uh, into the social distancing in doing so, we're not only being good stewards of our own lives, we're also protecting and honor, honoring the dignity of others. What do you think? I think that's pretty good, man. I think um, statements like this, to me, sometimes it sometimes can be a bit odd that it even needs to be said. Like, yep. um, oh, I forget who the comedian was. He was talking about how when it comes to like caring for the earth, there's a, sometimes Christians tend to be the worst at it. And he's like, that's surprising to me because you believe that, you know, the world was given to you by God in the first place. Why would you not have to take care of it? This, this, uh, this whole comment about the Lord calls us to be faithful stewards um, to me is so central and so important. I would love to be a really interesting interview, to be honest, because I think you and I have both kind of shown our cards at this point in the show. It would be interesting to have somebody on the show who's like, Yep, we still gathered. Got a thousand of us in the room. It's a big scare. It's a political hoax. It's the it's the media. Like for them, I, I, they obviously wouldn't see what they're doing as being reckless. Yeah, any Christian necessarily would want to do something that they believed was reckless. I think that's sometimes where the breakdown comes from. If we don't actually believe what the what the appropriate uh, observations actually look like, then that that I think is where a lot of the disagreement lies. Yep. Number three. And we talked about this earlier in relation to kind of adults, but think about this with kids. Number three, why can Christians live in this dangerous world without fear? Some have died at the hands of viruses. It has made others incredibly sick. Many of us are blessed to avoid it altogether, but they're plagued with fear. Uh, One of the Bible's most comforting phrases is do not fear. You brought that up earlier. Why does the Christian have freedom to reject fear and live in peace? As this girl said, because God is in control of everything. Much of the fear arising from this international crisis emanates from the perception that God has lost control of the world. In reality, Christ has ascended to his throne in heaven where he rules over all. 
in our conversation, I, I assured this child that God remains in control of every little thing, every single thing in the universe. His goodness constitutes an equally important aspect of our comfort. Not only does God hold all things under his sovereign control, but he also governs all things in accordance with his pure and perfect character. Knowing that he is good means we can live in peace. How about that aspect of talking to children about where, why it is we can have hope in, in the midst of fear? Well, we're all out of time, but I, I do think the uh, the question or topic of God's sovereignty is a really, really important one because yeah. how we actually understand that uh, determines a whole lot of other places our theology goes. And I can imagine, depending on how old the kid is, there certainly will be questions about like, well, then why does God allow this. pain and suffering? And they'll maybe bring up even specific instances. So based on your theological bent, I think it's important to be prepared for those answers. I also want to give a shout out to my buddy, David Rausch. He made yep. a video called Coronavirus Explained Kids Edition, and it's phenomenal. So Is that right? Yeah, it's really good. David Rausch, A-R-A-U-S-C-H, Coronavirus Explained Kids Edition on YouTube. It's phenomenal. Oh, that's great, because the more resources we can have in our hands at this point, uh, the better. Coming up next, we're going to do another article out of the Gospel Coalition uh, that takes it away from kids and gives us a list of things coronavirus can teach us. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. You know, as you're social distancing, don't social distance from our podcast, though. That's That felt bad. That felt bad right there. Don't, uh, the, it's a good time to listen to the podcast and catch up. You can also find old shows uh, at 1160hope.com. Well, I'll show here we've been talking about the coronavirus. There's really nothing else going on in the news right now that uh, even gets near that. I think our lives have changed and uh, we're relearning our day-to-day, at least for the next you know uh, month or two here. Hopefully that's all it is. And uh we last segment we talked about what's the corona how do we talk to our kids about coronavirus but the gospel coalition also asked this question uh what are things that we can learn what are takeaways right you want to learn uh you want to grow and learn from these types of things uh and so that's a great question so the gospel coalition wrote eight things a list of eight of things that we could learn that the coronavirus can teach us why don't you start us with number one All right, things it can teach us. Number one, our fragility. This global crisis is teaching us how weak we are as human beings. At the time of writing, 98,429 cases of coronavirus have been reported worldwide, causing 3,387 deaths. We're trying our best to contain its spread, and for the most part, I guess, we're confident of eventual success. Now imagine a virus even more aggressive and contagious than coronavirus faced with such a threat. Could we prevent our own extinction as a species? The answer is clearly no. It's easy to forget humans are weak and frail. The words of the psalmist ring true. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind uh, or COVID-19 blows over it and is gone and its place remembers it no more at Psalm 103. How does this lesson of our fragility hit home? Perhaps by reminding us not to take our lives on this earth for granted. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's Psalm 9012. I think that's spot on. And we've talked about this even in preaching on suffering, where I'll often say, the reason I know that we're not actually in control 
is there's not a single person in this room whose entire month wouldn't be ruined by a single text message right now. Like that's it, right. It is frail. And, and again, as we've been talking all show, it doesn't mean that we need to panic, but I think that fragility is an important thing to remember. That's right. Number two, our equality. This virus doesn't respect ethnic boundaries or national borders. It's not a Chinese virus. It's our virus. It's in Afghanistan, Belgium, Cambodia, Denmark, France, America, 77 countries and counting have been contaminated by the coronavirus. We're all members of a great human family created in the image of God. The color of our skin, the language we speak, our accents, and our cultures count for nothing in the eyes of a contagious disease. In our suffering, in the pain of losing a loved one, we are completely equal, uh, weak, and without answers. I think that's a, that is a great lesson because we do so much of separating ourselves and things like this remind us, oh, we're kind of all under that same umbrella. Yeah, right. And this third one is kind of like the first one. Number three, our loss of control. We all love to be in control. We fancy ourselves as captains of our destiny, masters of our fate. The reality is that today, more than ever before, we can control significant parts of our lives. We can control our home's heating and security remotely. We can move money around the world with a click of an app. We can even control our bodies through training and medicine. But perhaps this sense of control is an illusion, a bubble that the coronavirus has popped, revealing the reality that we're not really in control. Now here in Italy, the authorities are trying to contain the spread of the virus by closing, opening, and closing again our children's schools. Do they they have the situation under control? What about us? Armed with our disinfectant sprays, we try to lower the risks of being infected. There's nothing wrong with this activity, but are we in control of the situation? Hardly. Mm, Number four, the pain we share in being excluded. A few days ago, a member of our church, this person's in Italy, traveled to northern Italy. On her return to Naples, she was excluded from a dinner with work colleagues. She was told it would be better for her to not come in due to her recent travels up north, even though she hadn't been anywhere near the red zones and wasn't displaying any coronavirus symptoms. Obviously, this distancing hurt her. A 55-year-old restaurant owner from central Naples had recently been quarantined, having tested positive for COVID-19. He was said to have felt relatively well physically, but was saddened by the reaction of his neighbors. He said the thing that has hurt him more than his positive diagnosis is the way he and his family have been treated. Uh, Being excluded and isolated isn't an easy thing since we are created for relationship. But many people now are having to deal with isolation. It's an experience the leper community of Jesus' community knew all too well forced to live on their own, walking the streets of their hometown, shouting, unclean, unclean. Oh, my goodness gracious. All right, so this is a a list of eight, right? Eight things coronavirus to teach us. Number five, the difference between fear and faith. What's your reaction to the crisis? It's so easy to be gripped by fear. It's easy to see the coronavirus everywhere I look, on the keyboard of my computer, in the air Mm -hmm. I breathe, in every physical contact, and around every corner, waiting to infect me. Are we panicking? Or perhaps this crisis is challenging us to react in a different way with faith and not fear. Faith not in the stars or in some unknown deity, rather faith in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who was also the resurrection and the life. Surely only Jesus is, is in control of the situation. Surely only he can guide us through the storm. He calls us to trust and believe to have faith and not fear. Hmm. Number six, our need of God and our need to pray. In the midst of a global crisis, how can we as individuals possibly make a difference? Often we feel so small and insignificant, but there is something we can do. We can call out to our Father in heaven, pray for the authorities running our countries and cities, pray for the medical teams treating the sick, pray for the men, women, and children who have been infected, for the people afraid to leave their homes, for those living in red zones, for those at high risk 
with other illnesses and for the elderly. Pray the Lord would protect us and keep us. Pray to him that he might show us his mercy. Pray also for the Lord to return, that he might come back to take us to his new creation that he has prepared for us. A place of no tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. That's a, that's a powerful one because you could get so anxious and worried right now and go, what, what can we do? We can't do anything. And it is a call uh, to, at the very least, uh, be men and women who will take up this call to pray. Yeah, no kidding. Number seven, this one packs a punch. The vanity mm-hmm. of so much of our lives begins by quoting Ecclesiastes 1. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's so easy to lose perspective in the midst of the madness of our lives. Our days are filled with uh, people and projects, works and wish lists, homes and holidays that we can struggle to distinguish the important from the urgent. We lose ourselves in the midst of our lives. Perhaps this crisis is reminding us what we should concern our lives with. Perhaps it's helping us to distinguish between what's meaningful and meaningless. Perhaps the Premier League or that new kitchen or the Instagram post aren't Mm. essential to my survival. Perhaps the the coronavirus is teaching us what really matters. That's a hard one. (laughs) Number eight, last one. These are eight things that the Gospel Coalition that that the coronavirus teaches us. Uh, Number eight, our hope. In a sense, the most important question is not what hope do you have in the face of the coronavirus? Because... Jesus came to warn us of the presence of a far more lethal and widespread virus, one that has struck every man, woman, and child, a virus that ends in not only certain death, but eternal death. Our species, according to Jesus, lives in the grip of a a pandemic outbreak called sin. Uh, What is our hope in the face of that virus? The story of the Bible is the story of a God who entered the world infected with this virus. Uh, He lived among sick people, not wearing a chemical protective suit, but breathing the same air as we do eating the same food we do. He died in isolation, excluded from his people, seemingly far from his father on a cross. All that he might provide this sick world with an antidote to the virus, that he might heal us and give us eternal life. Hear his words in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That article was written by Mark Odin. He's a pastor uh, of a church in Naples, Italy, kind of the epicenter out there of the coronavirus. Uh, eight things we could learn about this. And when I first saw this article, you know, my first thought was like, are we already to the point of like, what can we learn from this? But I think that's one of the points is that we're constantly learning, constantly evaluating, constantly going, where's God in all this? So I think this is helpful. Yeah, and I, I think too, it's so important. The one that you know kind of hit me square between the eyes is like, something like this does have a way of sort of crystallizing your priorities. And it's honestly easy for me to get jealous of all the people who are like, Oh, we've already cleaned the attic or we're already taking care of this project. You know, like there's a a lot of me that wants to be that productive. Um, But there's another part of me that's honestly just like wanting to be really present with my family and wanting to be really intentional with my kids. And there's a, a certain kind of, sobering crystallizing anything that's happening in the midst of all of this that I, in a very odd way, I'm finding strangely um, formative. And yeah. it's still certainly like a lot of concern prayers that, you know, we are able to contain this quickly and that there's no more senseless loss of life. Uh, but it is certainly kind of bringing to the surface. I mean, I, maybe there have been some priorities that have been out of whack for a while. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a good article. We put it up on our Facebook page. Would love your comments. Maybe there's other things that you're processing that even all of this change in in life is causing you uh, 
to realize. So you can find that at our Facebook page. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, kids are home from school. Parents are out there listening, might be going, what do I do with them? An article at NBC News, uh, teaching kids home at your home. Uh, some some tips from homeschooling moms. We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday afternoon. It's a Monday different from most Mondays, but we're glad that you're joining us either uh, on the radio at 1160 uh, AM or on our podcast. So you can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. As a reminder, you can find articles and continue this conversation at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, also at Twitter at Common Good Talk. And you can find old shows uh, at uh, at uh, 1160hope.com. Brain cramp right there about our uh, our website. <laughs> I was like, where is that website? I think it is. Part of just yell it into the void. Is that how websites work? Yes. I was like, where? where? 1160hope.com. <laughs> and, uh, you can find old shows there as well. well. This show has been dominated by talk, not just about the coronavirus, but how do we process it? What's it mean for us as pastors, as dads, as parents? Uh, just as citizens, um, how do we live uh, as the church, loving others in this, loving our neighbor, not not treating this with greed or self-centeredness, but also just trying to process. And, and one more article I wanted to do or, or centered around the coronavirus is this. Um, all of our kids are home now, which is wild, right? They should be at school right now or earlier today. They should be at school this week, uh, but they're not. And so... Uh, my kids' school, they are starting on Tuesday, they're going to have e-learning hmm. where basically they have to log in and they do stuff, but you're still at home. Uh, it's, still, uh, it's still just different. And so at NBC News, they wrote an article entitled this, Teaching Kids at Home Due to the Coronavirus, Homeschooling Moms Share Their Tips. Hmm. Uh, and what uh, and underneath it, it says, your school day will not be perfect, but that's okay. Just try to remember you're adjusting to something new. And there will always be some bumps along the way. So I found this interesting. And I also thought it would be interesting because one of us grew up being homeschooled. And that person, one of us, Brian. <laughs> that person was not me. And so my guess is you might be like, hey, this is way, this is off or this is how we did it. Uh, so I'd love for you uh, to do that. The article starts this way. It's at NBCnews.com. We'll put it up on our Facebook page. As the new coronavirus spreads, schools across the country are closing their doors and encouraging parents to help kids complete schoolwork at home uh, until risk of catching or spreading COVID-19 has passed. For parents, the question is how? How do I do this? Parents sought advice from homeschooling parents on how to teach kids at home. And so they're going to give us a list here. What are just some tips? Do homeschool parents or formerly homeschool people have any advice? And uh, we'll see what you think of these. Number one. Uh, hold a family meeting. Heather Bowen, a mom of two from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, says when facing an unexpected homeschool situation, family planning is key. Talk to your children about this new normal and communicate with them that while they may be at home, they are still assignments that must be completed in a timely manner. Since your child is coming from a structured school environment, I would definitely continue on with providing structure for both them uh, and for you. Hold a family meeting. What do you think about that one? Uh, I think it's a good idea. I think the whole premise of this article is brilliant because I know a lot of really talented homeschool families that are all thinking like, now's my time to shine. Like they, like, <laughs> these suggestions, 
they're going to feel really normal to homeschool families. Um, and I think keeping in mind that like a lot of this stuff, especially for the homeschool families who have been implementing this for a while, um, like have some grace for your, your friends that are like trying to implement some of these things for the very first time. They're not in the rhythm or they don't even have the right, you know, supplies necessarily. But I, I think the list is really good. I, it, the first one kind of ties in with number two, create a daily schedule. Uh, she says it's important to have set hours for school, meals, chores, and other daily activities. Maria Chamberlain, a mom of seven who has been homeschooling for 29 years. Like, yeah. She says many routine activities are now disrupted, and that's going to be an emotional process for everyone. Kids are going to be disappointed as our parents not to have their normal routine. Chamberlain, who lives in Stratford, New Hampshire, suggests talking together as a family about the coronavirus outbreak and how it's affecting everyone. Then decide on a schedule together as a team. Let's uh, let the kids help plan it and it will run smoother. I think that's actually really smart. Yeah. Uh, and it, also owning the fact that like parents are going to be disoriented a little bit too. Like a lot of parents are thinking about, I got to care for my kids. Like give yourself some grace. Yes. It's new normal for all of us. And what's crazy is those of us who send our kids to school, the public school or, or private school every day, uh, when the kids are home, it feels like vacation. It feels like spring break. It feels right. like summer. And so to get that structure, like you said, can be disorienting. Number three, ask your school district for support. I'd highly suggest that you reach out to your local school's district and determine what resources in terms of curriculum, online learning platform supplies are available to you. Talk to your child's teacher and find out exactly what is expected from them in terms of assignments and schoolwork during this time. This has been one of the cool things to see. Like our school districts around where I live in Downers Grove have been really proactive and really clear about how to do this. Yeah, number four is good to help kids create a learning environment. Leah Duke, a Montana, Montana, Montana mom, <laughs> Montana mom. Jeez, Louise, I can read good. Montana mom of three who has been homeschooling since 2004 says it's important to remember that each child learns differently and may perform better in a different work environment. Help them create their own workspace at the kitchen table, on their bed, in a comfy chair, in the living room, and know that you may find a rotation works well for different subjects, especially for those students accustomed to visiting a different classroom and teaching mm. math, English, and electives. I think that's really, really smart. And honestly, a big reason why homeschooling, I think, worked in my family was because my parents were able to kind of curate for each of us based on our learning styles or based on, you know, the way that we received information. The best. I just think that that's a really important uh, aspect to keep in mind. Absolutely. Number five, I like this one. Don't be afraid to bribe them. Some students are self-motivated, said Duke, but some may need time limits and incentives. Like you need to finish ABC before you can XYZ. Not every student is a morning person, but it's much easier to accomplish what you need to do first thing before the whole day slips by. So that's a case for building incentives into your new routine. Just as we encourage our children to eat their vegetables before they can have a slice of cake. Bowen suggests incentives like time with electronics or playtime once schoolwork is complete and suggests making exceptions, expectations, I'm sorry, clear to kids so there's no confusion about what they need to get finished to earn their reward. For younger kids, uh, a dry erase board where you can list out all assignments and chores for the day and then check on them, check them off as they go, that may be the most effective. So the list is really long. I want to make sure, I'm going to just yep. mention the other ones real quick and then we'll yep. the ones that we have time for. Let's blow through them. Uh, number six, take breaks. Number seven, make it fun. Mm -hmm. uh, number, where did eight go? <laughs> There's no eight. <laughs> I'm not losing my mind, right? There's no eight. There is no eight. It goes from right. nine, it goes to seven to nine. <laughs> number nine, learn to count. Number, <laughs> number nine, 
uh, give, uh, give kids the reins. Number 10, do your own homework. Number 11, hold a daily wrap-up meeting. That's a good idea. Mm. Number 12, give yourself grace. And we mentioned that a couple of times. Which of those, I mean, you, my kids are so young, a lot of this doesn't really apply to me yet. But I'm curious with, you know, the kinds of age kids that this really does apply to, do any of these really stand out to you as kind of really extra helpful or mind-blowing or do you disagree with them? No, I don't disagree with any of them. I think that last one, even though we mentioned it before, is so important. Like, you're not going to get this perfect, right? This is a new normal for everybody. Uh, And so it's a good across the board to give each other grace. But to give each other grace in this, I think is important. Like, if you're not used to having kids at home and working in this way, uh, I also think setting some limits, I think, is important because what's going to be hard, especially for kids who are older, is to not take breaks, but just keep working. Like, oh, I've got to do this, got to do this. Like, they have normal set breaks at school, right? Like, right. class ended, day ended, uh, homework time. And and so I think having those breaks and, of course, making it fun. Like, there's going to be enough monotony here in the coming weeks right. uh, that making some things fun and, and prioritizing fun, I think, is going to be really important. Any of these stand out for ones that you guys did growing up or that you would do, uh, you'd advise people to do? Well, it was interesting because one of the things that I will often brag on my parents about is how, how willing they were to let every opportunity be a learning opportunity. Like, I remember yeah. my mom specifically saying, it's less about what you know and more about knowing how to get the information that you need. And that gave us like a real tenacity for, for learning. But it also meant that like if we spent the morning at grandpa's house and he was showing us how an engine worked, that counted as school. I remember the first time, you know, having been there for a while coming home, I'm like, oh gosh, I probably got a bunch of school to do still. And she's like, no, did you, did you spend the morning learning? Mm. Like, yeah. And she's like, well, that's what it's all about. And I was like, oh gosh, like that was so eye opening for me. And it gave me like a different appreciation into adulthood about how to perceive information, how to think critically. Like that was a, just a gift that I think my parents gave me that I'm, I'm really, really grateful for. That's really good. So we'll put this up at our Facebook page, but a lot of you are home. You've started this process even today and uh, trying to figure things out. So hopefully that's a good resource. Well, coming up next, uh, we do want to provide some levity today. So we're going to end our show <laughs> the way we end every show uh, with some interweb insanity. We're going to find out if this was a good idea, but that's what we're going to do next year on the common good AM 1160. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent, where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me who was pastoring a church in Bartlett. And they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality was just their heart to give back to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously to be wise with money and live generously and that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them and so if you're interested in learning more I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today here's some weird stuff we found on the internet here's some more weird stuff we found on the web everybody welcome back to the common good that music can only mean one thing means it's the end of our show interweb insanities this is a time where our producers either john or keith 
Uh, they find crazy stories from the internet. We have not read them. We have not seen them, but we, we're putting a lot of stock in them today because we've talked all show long about the coronavirus, but we thought let's end with some laughs. But before we do that, Ian, tell us a little bit about Thrivent. Yeah, some of you are aware. I'm a big fan of Thrivent. It's a, a Fortune 500 insurance and financial services organization right here in Chicagoland, and they've been serving people for over 100 years. And uh, part of what I love about their work is not just that they're exceptional at what they do. They also really care about like coming alongside people in what they call their wise with money journey. And uh, I would encourage you, if you're good with money or you're entrepreneurial or you want to, I don't know, get paid while you develop your own skills and your own business, if you have a passion for serving others, uh, this really might be a great opportunity for you. So I want to encourage you to visit thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers. And make sure to tell them Ian from the Common Good sent you. <laughs> I don't know if they can do that online. I think it's uh... Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> They should just say it into their computers. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll, that'll help somehow. Well, let me go first here. Out of the UK, inmate escaped prison by putting dummy in his cell, jumping over wall, and getting into girlfriend's getaway car. Boy. Uh, guards only noticed that uh, Luke Harvey was missing when they did their final late-night check on prisoners at the HMP Sudbury Derbyshire Prison on August 31st last year. Security footage showed him climbing the 10-foot wall, and his other half, Hannah Smith, was waiting for him on the other side. They went away for a weekend in uh, Skegness, with Harvey allegedly telling his girlfriend that he was due back at prison on Monday morning. However, instead of returning, he went out for a run for he went on the run for a week. Harvey saw Smith again days later and asked her to drive him to a friend's house, which she did, knowing he was on the run. They were stopped on the M6 near her home in Birmingham. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. That's a crazy story. I can't believe stuff like that still happens. And I'm surprised he told his girlfriend, oh, now take me back. Like, I figured she'd be in on it. Yeah, like it was a, like a, like a rumspringer situation. Like, ah, they gave all of us. A week off from a quick. Hey, I got the weekend off. <laughs> a weekend, like a shift from work. Uh, this one's from the world. The world. <laughs> uh, REMs, it's the end of the world, re answers charts amid coronavirus outbreak. Oh, no. <laughs> no way. The song currently sits at number 64 on the iTunes single charts and is climbing higher by the hour. As of Sunday afternoon, the song sits at 64. Uh, it's climbing higher by the hour. In comparison, at its peak in 1987, it's the end of the world reached number 69. Wow. <laughs> this is the highest it's ever been. Though it appeared on REM's 1987 album, Document, the origins of It's the End of the World actually date back several years earlier when the band's, num- uh, band's members ran into legendary rock critic Lester Bangs at an industry party. Later, REM frontman Michael Stipe would dream about attending Bangs' birthday party and being the only person uh, there, the only person there whose initials weren't <laughs> LB. So there was Lenny Bruce, <laughs> the Leonid Bresna, Leonard uh, Bernstein, Stiper called. So that ended up in the song, along with a lot of other stuff I'd seen while I was flipping TV oh channels. Gosh. It's a collection of streams of consciousness. Six o'clock, TV hour. 
sometimes you hear the randomness for which these songs are written. It's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I shouldn't really be surprised. Next one's out of Sweden. Sweden finds Google for letting website owners know their sites were censored by official orders. Uh, the case revolving around the controversial right to be for the right to be forgotten rule that was first introduced in Spain in 2014. Under it, search engines must de-index links to obsolete negative to obsolete negative private information huh. if a person to whom it relates makes such a request. I don't understand any of that. At the same time, these web pages remain available on the sites that publish them. At the GDPR passed in 2018, additionally strengthened consumer protections around uh, this issue. Google and its supporters oppose this regulation. We're through the looking glass here, people. That was a tough one to follow. Uh, I struggled. I really struggled with that one. <laughs> this one's out of India. No item man driving BMW stops to urinate. Thieves flee with car. That's, <laughs> uh, that's one's easier. <laughs> some unidentified people allegedly fled with a BMW car for the man driving it pulled up to urinate on a roadside police that on Sunday. According to officials, the incident happened on Saturday night in Sector 90 under Phase 2 police station limits when Rishab Aurora, a stockbroker, was returning in the car from a party in an inebriated condition. Mm. Oh, really? Wow. Well, that's unfortunate. We knew we were going to get some alcohol in one of these. Last one. Kind of inevitable, yeah. In Chicago, with the Shedd Aquarium closed to humans, penguins take opportunity to explore and visit other animals. Oh, this is... No. <laughs> the penguins at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago are usually the ones being looked at since they're the ones, one of the most beloved attractions. But Sunday, they were able to get a taste of what it's like on the other side of the glass. With the building closed to visitors to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, a group of rockhopper penguins were allowed to leave their habitat and explore the rest of the aquarium. Without guests in the building, caretakers are getting creative in how they provide enrichment to animals. Uh, introducing new experiences, activities, food, and more to keep them active, encourage them to explore, problem solve, and express natural behaviors. Just smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. You got to see the picture here. That's really cute. That's really cute. Well, that was a nice way to end a heavy show, wasn't it? Yeah, I appreciate that. That's a good way. We're glad you're with us. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow from four to six. Probably a lot more talk about the coronavirus and anything else going on. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. This has been The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. 